0: 9, 10, and 11 of Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we've mentioned a few times over the last few weeks how the Apostle Paul would regularly pray for this church. And this morning, in these three verses, we're actually going to see how Paul prayed for this church. Uh, These last three verses of this opening paragraph are a prayer. And the way Paul would pray for this church is he would pray for their continuing sanctification. Now, as we look at verses 9, 10, and 11 here in a minute, it's important to note that this prayer is not simply a list. It'd be easy to look at these things and say, okay, I need to pray for knowledge, I need to pray for discernment, I need to pray for this, and I need to pray for this. But what we're going to see as we work through these uh, three verses, these three verses are one sentence, and each clause of this sentence builds on the next clause. So this is how Paul would always pray with joy, like we saw a few weeks ago, for this church. And it serves for us as an example of how we should pray not only for ourselves, but also for each other. We don't pursue spiritual growth. We don't pursue sanctification instead of praying. This is one of the things that we're going to learn here in this message. We don't pursue spiritual growth instead of praying. We pursue spiritual growth because we are praying. And it shows us, these three verses, they show us that God is working in response to our prayer. God is the one who grows us in Christ-likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we pray in faith, believing that God will make us more like Jesus, we diligently pursue a life that looks more and more like Jesus. Uh, Turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter number 1, we are going to read all of chapter number 1. And then afterwards, we're going to work through verses 9, 10, and 11. So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter number 1 as we begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness." How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they'll cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything But that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this... I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents, This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Let's pray, and then we will jump into our Bible study this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint your word to be good news to the Fresno Church this morning. I pray that your word would heal the brokenhearted. I pray that it would be liberty to the captive and freedom to the prisoners. Lord, I pray that your word would proclaim your favor and the day of your vengeance. Lord, I pray that it would comfort those who mourn. I pray that it would be a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festival oil instead of mourning, splendid clothes instead of despair so that we will be called the righteous trees planted by you to glorify you. Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters around the world, Lord, primarily Afghanistan, and I pray that you would minister to them this morning. Lord, they're facing things that we here in the West could never even dream of or fathom. So Lord, I pray that you would rise up in their defense and protect them protect our brothers and sisters protect the women and the children who are going to be oppressed i pray that you would rise up in their defense as your word says you do for the oppressed over and over and over again lord for those that are oppressing i pray that you would stop them i pray that you would foil their plans i pray that you would strike them down lord we pray that your word would go forward there in that country and all and all over the world lord our attentions on Afghanistan, but Lord, we know that there's Christians around the world who are hurting, who are suffering persecution in ways that we can't even imagine. I pray that we, as your church here in the West, would be faithful to your word. I pray that we would not take our liberties for granted, but that we would wholeheartedly pursue you like we're going to see this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. As we consider this morning, this prayer uh, for sanctification, this morning, the first point I want to draw out is that knowledge and discernment shape our growing love. We see this in verse number nine. Verse number nine says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And so we see as Paul starts to pray for this church's sanctification, that it's knowledge and discernment that shape our growing love. In many ways, the church at Philippi Uh, was an example. They were a good example of what it meant to be a loving church. But Paul is telling them, look, just because you're doing well doesn't mean you can just go on ahead and coast. So Paul prays that their love would keep on growing. He prays something similar for the church at Thessalonica. If you read 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter number 4 verses 9 through 12 Paul says this about brotherly love. You don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, You are doing this to all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. So Paul said, hey, you guys are doing really well at this. But he goes on to say, but we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. Keep on growing. Just because you're a great example of what it means to be a loving church doesn't mean we can just coast. Doesn't mean we can just take that for granted. And then he goes on in 1 Thessalonians to define what that looks like. He says, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. (laughs) We all can do some of that, can't we? Um, And to work hard with your hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So Paul tells the church at Philippians, he tells the church at Thessalonica, look, you guys are examples of what it means to be a loving church. But Paul is calling them to continually grow in that love. He's reminding us there's no coasting in our walk with God. We can't sit back and think we're okay. God wants our love to be continually increasing, that your love may continue to grow, that your love may abound more and more and more. Now, what's interesting about this challenge to grow in love is that in in Philippians here, uh, the love that he is calling us to doesn't have a direct object. Oftentimes they'll say, love, God should increase, or your love for people should increase. Um, but here in Philippians, the love he's calling us to has no direct object. But throughout scripture, we can see that we're called to love God and love others. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36-40 is probably the quintessential passage for this. So they came up to Jesus and they said, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he, Jesus, said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. He says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. So even though here in Philippians the love we're called to doesn't have a direct object, when we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we can see Paul is praying that our love would overflow up to to God and out to each other in this limitless abundance. We can't just go on autopilot because things seem like they're okay. And there's a temptation here that we all have to wrestle with in different seasons of our life. There's going to be seasons, and obviously this isn't the current season in as a church, but there's seasons where everything seems okay and everything seems like it's good, and there's a temptation to just kind of coast through that. It's easy when things are going well or when life is, com- is, is comfortable to not intentionally pursue spiritual growth. But Paul constantly encourages these churches, these churches that are great examples for us to keep on pressing in love, keep on growing and being like Jesus. And that's the call for us as a church today, to keep on loving, to keep on being like Jesus, to not just be okay with where we're at, but to grow in our love for God, to grow in our love for others, to grow in our love for each other as a church family. Paul then shows us, he informs our limitless love what it's supposed to look like. He says, okay, you need to grow in love. It needs to be limitless. It needs to grow in abundance. But he gives us a definition of what this biblical love looks like. Biblical love is not an open-ended thing without any type of a definition. Uh, Biblical love is more than just a sentimental feeling that gives us the warm fuzzies. And I'm all for warm fuzzies, right? But that's, that's not the basis of what biblical love is. Biblical love must conform to the truth of God's word. Oftentimes, people, they'll equate love with total acceptance, right? Well, love is love, so whatever emotional attachment I have must be accepted as genuine love. And if you disagree with me, that's the most unloving thing that you can do. There's just this open-ended, no solid definition to it. Not only is this out of step with Scripture, it's really a recipe for chaos when you consider it and you take it to its nth degree. But what Paul is doing here is Paul is telling us that genuine love is rooted in God's objective truth. There's always a little part of me that cringes when somebody says, well, my truth... Like that, 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 that doesn't work. You need an objective truth that's outside of ourselves. And what Paul is doing is he is rooting genuine love inside God's objective truth, his word. And he says, and the more we grow in the knowledge of God, the more loving we become. Paul makes it very clear that the foundation of love that we are being called to, it's not warm fuzzies, it's not this sentimental feeling. He's saying it's grounded in knowledge and discernment. Now, the Greek word for knowledge here is epigenosis. It means a precise and correct knowledge. Almost every time Paul uses this word throughout the New Testament, it's in connection with knowing God. Knowing God. So, the foundation of our love is a growing knowledge of God. Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self. You are being renewed in what? In knowledge according to what? The image of your Creator. So, as we grow in our knowledge of God, we grow in sanctification and we grow in love. Uh, writer Walter Hansen said knowledge of Christ multiplies love. The more we know of God, the closer we grow to God, the more reasons we will have to love Him, and the more driven we will be to love others. Love is rooted in the knowledge of God. Otherwise, we won't know how to love appropriately. We learn from Scripture what it means to love. When we look at the example of Christ, we learn from Him what it means to serve, what it means to forgive, what it means to lay down our lives for others. Paul said in Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. How? As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Paul is showing us that Jesus is the example and the model of what true love looks like. And as we spend time in his presence, surrender to his spirit, He will enable us to walk in that love following his example. What's also interesting about those verses I just read, Ephesians 1 and 2, if you read verses 3 through 5, Paul goes on to say, now this is what love doesn't look like. And he just lists a bunch of sins. (laughs) Oftentimes the world will tell you, well, I'm going to live in this sin and you have to accept that if you're really loving. But Paul in the scripture actually tells us that's not loving. So we just can't accept anything in the name of love. What the Apostle Paul is doing throughout the New Testament and here in Philippians is he is rooting love in the knowledge of God that we see in the Word of God. He is rooting love in truth. We can't just accept anything in the name of love. Again, Ephesians 4, 20-23. Paul tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self, the one who created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity and truth. So Paul says as you grow in your sanctification, as you spiritually grow, what's going to happen is you're going to renew your minds with the truth of God's word and that's going to enable you to look more and more like Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we see the key to growing in our sanctification, the key to growing in our love for God and others is growing in our knowledge of him. Ephesians 1.17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation in what? The knowledge of him. Christian love is never simply a matter of sentimentality. Christian love comes from the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing the knowledge of Christ through the word of God. And the more you are in the word, the more your knowledge of God will increase, and the more your love will overflow. But not only is knowledge supposed to inform our love, Paul says in uh, chapter 1, verse 9 of Philippians, so is discernment. Yes, knowledge is the foundation of our love. It helps us to know what is right and wrong. But he says it's also discernment. The Greek word here means perception. It's the ability to morally discern in ethical matters. It's a really interesting word because this is the only place in the New Testament this Greek word gets used. But if you were to look at the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint, this word is used 22 times in the book of Proverbs, where it means practical insights that inform our choices and our conduct. The idea Paul is communicating here by including knowledge and discernment is we need to prayerfully be able to answer the question, what is the best way? for me to love this person based on what the Word of God says? What is the best way for me to live in a spirit of love according to the Word of God? Knowledge helps us know what's right and wrong. Discernment helps us know what's best. So what is the best way for me to be a loving Christian? And the more we saturate our mind in God's Word, the more we will learn how to live out God's Word with wisdom and discernment. And so what we see here is truth-saturated love and love-saturated truth. So we see first that knowledge and discernment are what shape our growing love so that, we see in verse number 10, we may approve the things that are superior and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. As we move into verse 10, Paul says this is the reason knowledge and discernment shape your growing love, which leads us to our second thought this morning. Growing in love produces the fruit of righteousness, So knowledge and discernment shape our growing love, and then that growing love produces the fruit of righteousness. The idea here is that we would be able to examine what's right in front of us and determine what is excellent, be able to determine what is best, so that we can approve what is superior. Not only do we need to be able to determine right from wrong, we also need to be able to discern what is best and what is second best. Now the word approve here means more than just cognitively recognize It's not just being able to intellectually say, well, I know this is best. It means to embrace it and to delight in it. Based on our growing knowledge and discerning love, we pray that we can joyfully choose the things that are best in this life. That we can joyfully and wholeheartedly accept, this is what God says is best for me based on my relationship with Him and His Word and His Holy Spirit leading my life. Our life is a series of choices. This is why we need discernment. What we choose day in and day out is what shapes our lives. Foolish and sinful choices leave us unprepared for the coming of Jesus. We see that at the end of verse number 10. We live in view of that day of Christ. By knowing Jesus passionately and pursuing a life that matters, we are living with his return in view. We are living in a way that prepares us to meet him. Now, we can take comfort from the fact that this is a prayer. This is something that we are that Paul is praying that we are called to grow in. (laughs) The The reason we are praying this way is because we all need to be able to grow in being able to approve the things that are superior. We need knowledge to know what's right and wrong and discernment to know what's best for us according to God's word in each moment. It's easy to look back and see where discernment would have been needed. Or maybe there was discernment, but it wasn't brought to a fruition in the way that it should have been. But the point of this passage is not to look back and beat ourselves up. The point of this passage is to direct how we move forward. To direct and shape our love so that we can live in light of the fact that one day we're going to meet our Savior. It's God's desire that his church be a place where people can grow together. Walking in knowledge and discernment that shapes our love so that we can help each other live out verse 10. This isn't just a solo sport. Paul is praying this over the church. And so he says, as a church family, you want your love to be shaped by knowledge and discernment so that together you can approve the things that are superior because Jesus is coming back so that we can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. God wants us to be ready for that moment that Jesus comes back. Paul would often pray this way for those that he wrote to. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13. It's going to sound really familiar. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. You see, the prayer that Paul would often have for these churches was Jesus is coming back and it should be our desire to be ready to meet him. Now, this doesn't contradict what we saw last week when we said God's going to finish the work that he started. Our past justification, current sanctification, and future glorification are all gifts of grace and Jesus is going to carry that to completion. But what these verses do show us is that we are saved to live righteously. We're not saved by living righteously, we are saved so that we can live righteously. We are saved for good works, not by good works. The fact that Jesus is coming should influence the way we desire to live our lives. I can remember as a kid, whenever my mom would leave us at home, Hashtag 90s child. Um, she would always give us a job to do. And she would tell us, this job needs to be done before I get back. And she would leave and without fail, either myself or all of us four siblings, we would, the moment she would drive away, we would completely forget about that job and go playing until the moment <laughs> we heard her car pulling back into the driveway. Then there's that moment of panic, mom's home. And we all go take off trying to finish whatever we were supposed to already have done. Well, what Paul is doing is Paul is being like a really good older brother, and he's coming along and saying, Jesus is coming back. This truth should cause us to live pure. This truth should cause us to live blamelessly. Now, we may read this verse and think, aren't we already pure and blameless in Christ? Positionally, yes, we are. But Paul is not referring to our position in Christ. He's referring to the way we live our lives. You can see this by the fact that he's asking for it. You don't need to keep asking God to justify you. You're justified. That's, that's done. That was completed. The moment you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and he became your Lord and Savior, you were completely and totally justified. Paul's not dealing with our justification. He doesn't need to pray about that anymore. It's a done deal. He's praying that our lifestyle would be pure and blameless. Now, the word pure means Sincere. It literally means to have been exposed by sunlight and found genuine. Uh, in ancient times, a buyer, they would hold up a piece of pottery to the sun, to the light, to make sure that there were no cracks in it that had been covered up. In modern times, we do this when we hold up a dollar bill. You hold it up to the light to see if there's the watermark, to see if it's real. That's the idea that's behind this word. It means sincere. It denotes a transparency of heart. Paul is praying for their moral transparency. He's praying that our purity would not just be our position in Christ, but that our lives would continually reflect the fact that we are pure in Christ. That our lifestyle would continually grow into more and more alignment with who Christ has declared us to be. Paul is praying for real moral change to take place as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. He prays that we would be pure, that we would be authentic, that we would be real, that our lifestyle would reflect the fact that God has changed us. But he also prays that we would be blameless. Now, blameless doesn't mean sinless. To be blameless means that the way I live my life is not leading others into sin. It's not causing other people to stumble. It means I have a clear conscience. Paul uses the same word in Acts twenty four sixteen when he says, I strive always to To have a clear conscience. The same Greek word is blameless. I strive always to be blameless towards God and men. Same idea in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, whether we are at home or we away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Verse 9. Why does he do that? Why do we want to be pleasing to God? Well, he answers in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, because of our position in Christ, it's impossible to make God love us more. This isn't about us, whether or not we get into heaven. Again, that is secure. That has been taken care of. This is not about that. It's impossible to make God love us more. But just because we are totally loved by God doesn't mean he's always happy with our choices. That's why he says we make it our aim. We diligently pursue being pleasing to him. I mean, every parent understands this on some level, right? I mean, you love your kids no matter what. Them being your child is never in question, but there are some moments (laughs) where you're like, child, I love you, but I am not pleased with your behavior. God's love for us is never in question, and it's because of that love Paul is praying we would live blamelessly. We make it our aim. We make it our goal. We make it our purpose that the way we live our life would be pleasing to God, This means we continually wage war against the sin in our life through confession and repentance. This means we actively pursue living a holy life. This means we actively seek to please God in everything that we do while we are trusting in Christ's sinless perfection. It means we increasingly become filled with the fruit of knowledge. As we move from verse 10 to 11, you'll notice there's no and, there's no then between pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. So it would seem that being filled with the fruit of righteousness is part of what Paul means when he says, live pure and blameless. If you want a great passage, well, what is the fruit of righteousness? Uh, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26 is a great passage that lays out the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Paul walks us through. This is what the flesh looks like. This is what the spirit looks like. The flesh is, he says, it's opposed to each other. We don't want what you want. If you're led of the spirit, you're not on the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. This is what it looks like when you're not walking in love. He says it's sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. That is not what it means to be loving. Paul says that's the work of the flesh. But as you're growing in Jesus, you're going to have more of the fruit of righteousness, What she says in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what it means to experience and to live out the fruit of righteousness. Passages like Galatians 5 clearly spell out what the fruit of righteousness is, but there's also many other passages that tell us that good works are a fruit of grace, and these differ based on different people. Right now, my good work is to preach. Your good work is to listen. You're all doing a great job. Thank you. Our good work depends on what God has called us to. It varies from person to person. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need. (laughs) This verse just blows my mind. You may excel in every good work. God is saying, I'm giving you everything you need so that you can excel at living a holy life, so that you can excel in every good work, so that no matter where life has you, you can be a representation of Jesus at your job, in your family. You may excel in every good work. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That's our position. For what? For good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The good works that God calls us to do To do are a part of what it means to live a pure and blameless life it's not just what we don't do although the bible gives us a lot of that it's also what we do the way we actively pursue living a holy life now at the beginning of verse 11 paul prays that we would be filled with this fruit this means there's no half measures paul ain't playing He's like, we're going to meet Jesus, so let's get at this, church. In the power of the Holy Spirit, because we are perfect in Christ, let's get at living a pure and blameless life. I love what he says in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 12, but I make every effort to take hold of it. He's like, I'm not perfect. I haven't got there yet, but I am making every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Because of my position in Christ, I am making every effort to live purely, to live blamelessly, to live holy that the works of righteousness would grow in my life living a life that was pleasing to god was this consuming force in paul's life now this is not again this is not a prayer for us to go and clean ourselves up so that we can meet jesus it's a prayer for us to grow in Christ's likeness which flows from our union if, with christ it's a prayer to become what we are because we are going to meet christ jesus And the fact that this is a prayer shows us this is the work of God in our lives. Verse 11 says, this comes through, not through our discipline, not through trusting in our own strength to grow in holiness, not through how long we've been in church, not about how polished or articulate we are. No, this comes through Jesus Christ, the fruit of righteousness, the works of righteousness come through Jesus He is the one that enables us. Holy living comes through Jesus Christ. Paul is praying in alignment with what God is doing. So it's easy to look at this and be like, doesn't this contradict what we saw in verse 6? No, what Paul is doing is Paul is praying according to verse 6. He's like, God's going to complete this work, so I'm praying that it would be real in your life so that you can experience what God is already doing. Paul is praying in accordance with God's will, and then we pray in accordance. This is the example for us. Pray in accordance with God's will, and then live your life in a way that reflects you believe God is going to answer that prayer. Pray in accordance with God's will, and then the way we live our life reflects the fact that I believe God's going to answer that prayer. Because he promises to do it in verse number six. We diligently pursue growth in reliance to God's answer to prayer for our growth. So the question we want to ask ourselves is, are we praying for specific spiritual growth in our lives? We're all in a difficult season right now. And as we just sit and let the Holy Spirit speak to us, he's going to show us these areas where we need to grow. And our heartbeat should be, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you grow me in trusting in you? Would you grow my knowledge? Would you grow my discernment? Holy Spirit, would you grow me in this specific area that you are revealing to me that I need to grow in? Are you praying for specific spiritual growth? And then are you striving to experience that growth in dependence on the Holy Spirit? Knowledge and discernment shape our growing love. Growing in love produces the fruit of righteousness. And then lastly, we see the fruit of righteousness glorifies God. I love that Paul ends this this prayer, this opening paragraph with the doxology. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This isn't just a cute tagline he adds to the end of his prayer. This is the ultimate driving force in our lives. God gets glory and praise when the fruit of righteousness is real in our lives because it's not about us. Our spiritual growth and experiencing the fruit of righteousness and doing the good works God created us to do are not so that we can pat our spiritual resume and be like, "Look how cool I am." It's not about us. Pastor Kerry Schmidt said, "Real fruit doesn't glorify me; it glorifies Jesus." Yes, Matthew five sixteen tells us, "Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven." Yes, our good works are supposed to be seen by others, but we're not noticed. So if it's all about what you did, it's not genuine fruit of righteousness. We don't seek to become more like Jesus because it looks good on Instagram. Because there's times when it won't. This isn't about so that we can build our own platform. It's about the glory and praise of Jesus. We seek to become more like Jesus because it displays the greatness of Jesus. It displays the greatness of God. Isaiah 43, 21, The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. That's why we exist. God has made this group of people for the purpose of declaring his praise because he is worthy and we are not. From the beginning to the end of our lives, we are made to display the magnificence of God. This means we make him visible, revealing as much as humanly possible how attractive and wonderful God is. This is why we want the fruit of righteousness to be real in our lives so that it can display before the world how great our God is. This is why we as a church want to live in a spirit of unity and a spirit of faith so that we can display to the lost and dying world God is greater. It's worth following Jesus. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's sacrifice. But this is how amazing our God is passages scripture after scripture after scripture we don't have time to work through them all this morning but over and over and over it tells us we live holy so that we can display how wonderful our God is so the lost world will look at it and be like I don't agree with it but I can't deny it we do this for the praise and glory of God we pray that God would be glorified through our lives a prayer for spiritual growth is always rooted in the glory of God. When I was in college, I remember I did kind of like a loose study on all the different, anytime I would see somebody praying in the Bible, I would dig into how they prayed. Because I can remember I was in a season, I'm like, Lord, I need some answers to prayer. (laughs) And so I was just looking at all the, I don't even know if it was right. I was just trying to make a formula, right? Um, But every time I would look at the way people would pray in the scripture over and over and over again, I would always come back to they're doing it for the glory of God. I mean, look, do a a study on how people prayed and over and over you'll see for the glory of your name, God. Don't answer this prayer so it looks like, oh, Nick gets his prayers answered. Look at him. He's so cool. No, it's not about that. It's for the glory of Jesus. It's for the glory of Jesus. And so when we pray, Holy Spirit, would you grow me? It's always rooted in not us looking like a good Christian, but in the glory of Jesus, the glory of God. So in conclusion, church, let's take this prayer and pray it for each other. Leaders, whether you're a leader here in this church or you're a leader at your work, take this prayer and pray it over your team. Husbands, take this prayer and pray it over your wife. You can pray it word for word over your wife. Wives, pray this over your husbands. Pray it word for word. Pray it and as the spirit brings things to mind, what it means specifically in your life to be pure and blameless, pray those things. Husbands prayed over your wives, wives prayed over your husbands, parents prayed over your children. For some of us as parents with little kids, what this is going to mean is, Lord, would you save them so that they can grow in your love? And as they grow in your love, Lord, I pray by faith for their future that you will save them and that they will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that as they continue to grow up in their lives, they can learn how to approve the things that are superior and be pure and blameless so that the day they stand before you, Jesus, their life will be a pleasing sacrifice to you. Pray it over yourself. God, would you help my love to grow in knowledge and discernment? Holy Spirit, I need so much discernment right now. I don't know what's up from down. Would you give me the knowledge to know? Would you give me the discernment to to, to weigh things so that I can approve things that are superior? Help me to be pure and blameless as I parent my children. I pray that my children, when they would look at their dad, would see that, that his faith is real, that it's authentic. It's not just this thing he does on Sundays, but that it's real. Whatever your need is, Paul gives us this amazing prayer. The Holy Spirit gives us this amazing prayer so that we can pray over ourselves. So pray for your spiritual growth. Pray that God would be glorified through your life. Pray that God would be glorified through your church. Pray God is going to finish what he started, because he will. Let's pray that our lives can be used as a part of that process. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that our love would keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that we as a church can approve the things that are superior. And Lord, as we move forward together as a church family, I pray that you would give us the knowledge and discernment that we need so that we can approve the things that are superior, so that we can know how we as a church need to move forward. I pray that we would be pure and blameless as your children, that our faith would be real, that it would be genuine, that when the world looks at us, Lord, they would not see utter hypocrisy, but that they would see a people who are growing and striving to be more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would grow us in being filled with the fruit of righteousness, the specific fruit we see revealed in your word but also, Lord, the different good works that you have called all of us to do. I pray that our lives would just be filled with it, that we would actively pursue it, that it would not be something that we take for granted or just kind of go halfway at, but that, like the Apostle Paul, we would wholeheartedly pursue it because you have taken a hold of us. And, Lord, I pray that the driving force in our life would be your glory. We ask this in your name.